welcome back everyone to Inflammatory Content, the podcast all about immunology. I'm your host, Kellen Cavanero. Before we get into the science, I have an exciting announcement to make. Inflammatory Content is now sponsored by the National Cancer Institute and the Cancer Cell Map Initiative. Find out more about their research and outreach activities at ccmi.org. Today we're going to be talking about fat. Fat gets a bad rap, but nothing in biology is all good or all bad. And fat is no exception. As we'll soon discover, fat plays an integral role in our immune system and our defense against pathogens from the outside world. Alright, I'm fired up. Let's get to it. All mental adipose tissue has been considered an important component of host defense since at least 1906 when the surgeon Rutherford Morrison deemed it the policeman of the abdomen. It was later found that the omentum can limit inflammation when used to patch injured tissue during surgery. More recently, the omentum has been postulated to act as a filter for peritoneal contaminants. The precise mechanisms underlying omental host defense, however, remain elusive. In today's paper, titled, Stromal Cells Covering Omental Fat-Associated Lymphoid Clusters Trigger Formation of Neutrophil Aggregates to Capture Peritoneal Contaminants, Lucy Helen Jackson-Jones and colleagues investigated how the omentum captures peritoneal contaminants. Let's start out with an executive summary of the paper. Because there is a growing body of literature surrounding the role of stromal cells in adipose tissue immune function, the authors hypothesize that such cells are involved in omental defense. To address this hypothesis, Jackson Jones and colleagues first performed single-cell RNA sequencing of omental stroma, which identified multiple fibroblasts and mesothelial populations, all of which expressed the well-described neutrophil chemokine CXCL1. Spatially, CXCL1-positive stromal cells were found on the surface of omental fat-associated lymphoid clusters, or FALCs. The authors demonstrated that, following intraperitoneal challenge with microbial contaminants, neutrophils aggregate on the surface of omental FALCs in a CXCL1 and neutrophil extracellular trap, or NET, dependent fashion to contain the pathogenic molecules. Importantly, without neutrophil accumulation and NET release, contaminants were able to spread systemically. The authors conclude the study by showing that such mechanisms may be conserved in humans by using samples from patients with appendicitis. Overall, the work reveals several important and translational processes underlying the mysterious host defense abilities of omental fat. Alright, now we have a good idea of what we're getting into with this paper. Let's now get into some background about the omentum. There are two major types of adipose tissue, subcutaneous, which is under your skin, and visceral adipose tissue, which is deeper than subcutaneous. One easy way to remember this is that feelings that are felt deep within us in the gut are often referred to as visceral feelings. Our focus today is on omental adipose tissue, which is a subset of visceral adipose tissue. In between your belly button and your intestines exists a fluid-filled space called the peritoneum. The omentum is a sheet-like adipose tissue that lines the peritoneal cavity. One unique aspect of omental adipose tissue compared to other adipose tissue depots is that the omentum is rich in fat-associated lymphoid clusters, or FALCs. 
These are essentially small domains of the adipose tissue that are filled with conventional hematopoietic immune cells, like B cells. But in addition to the hematopoietic immune cells, there are a lot of stromal cells. Fibroblasts, endothelial cells, mesothelial cells. The current dogma is that the primary function of these cells is to support tissue architecture. However, there is emerging evidence that they also play critical roles in host defense. As a unit, the cells that make up the omental falcs are known to act as a filter for pathogens and particles. The aim of this study was to answer the question of how do omental falcs capture and filter peritoneal contaminants? And further, the authors wanted to know if stromal cells play a role. They start off by showing us some single-cell RNA sequencing data of murine omental stroma. This analysis led to the identification of two fibroblast populations and three mesothelial populations. By the way, mesothelial cells are mesoderm-derived epithelial cells. Differential expression analysis of the five clusters led to the identification of relatively unique markers that could be used for validation, as well as further investigation. One of the mesothelial populations had particularly high expression of CXCL13, whereas another had particularly high expression of ISG15. The authors next investigated the spatial location of these two mesothelial populations. They did this by using a cool variant of immunofluorescent microscopy called whole mount staining. Unlike most tissue immunofluorescent methods, there is no sectioning with this one. By using a high-powered confocal microscope, this method of immunofluorescent staining allows the investigator to get an idea of what's happening at a three-dimensional level. In their most zoomed-out images, you can see a large stretch of the omentum. Peppered throughout the omentum is intense dappy staining. These are the falcs. Intriguingly, the authors find CXCL13 expression. Remember, CXCL13 marks one of the mesothelial populations identified in the single-cell RNA sequencing data on the surface of the falc, but not deep within the falc or in non-falc parts of the omental tissue. The authors report similar findings for ISG15, which marks one of the other mesothelial populations identified in the single-cell RNA sequencing data. One of the fibroblast populations, the CCL11-positive one, on the other hand, does not cover the falc surface. The authors deem these two populations of mesothelial cells that cover the falc surface as falc cover cells. The focus of the manuscript from this point forward is on the falc cover cells. I should note that the authors did not report any spatial data related to the third mesothelial population and the second fibroblast population. The authors next returned to their single-cell RNA sequencing data to get an idea of what falc cover cells do. This analysis revealed that all of the omental stromal cells express transcripts for CXCL1, which is a known neutrophil chemoattractant. Remember, Neutrophils are professional antimicrobial cells. One way that neutrophils neutralize, see what I did there, bacteria is through the release of neutrophil extracellular traps, or nets. More on this later.
this CXCL1 transcript is likely translated as when the omentum is taken out of the mouse and put in culture, CXCL1 is secreted into the supernatant. Omental CXCL1 production was potentiated by zymazan. As a TLR2 and dectin-1 ligand, zymazan is recognized as a foreign particulate and induces peritonitis in mice. The authors return to their whole mount immunostaining method to show that foul cover cells are the cells that are making CXCL1. You all should go check out figure 2. These are some beautiful images. To get an idea of the functional consequence of falc cover cell CXCL1, the authors investigate neutrophilia following intraperitoneal injection of zymazan. They did this by using their whole mount immunostaining method with the Li6G antibody. Before we get into the results, it's important to note that Li6G does not only stain neutrophils. Other myeloid cells, like monocytes, also stain positive for Li6G. They don't see much Li6G staining in naive mice, but after Zymazan challenge, the Li6G staining is really intense at the FALC. To test whether the Li6G positive cell accumulation is CXCL1 dependent, the authors inject an anti-CXCL1 blocking antibody in addition to Zymazan. The result, Li6G positive cell accumulation is severely attenuated. This tells us two important things. First, because CXCL1 is a potent neutrophil chemoattractant, those Li6G positive cells are most likely neutrophils. Secondly, this result tells us that the CXCL1 that is expressed at baseline is probably not secreted, not until the addition of zymazan. It sounds like these stromal cells possess intracellular stores of CXCL1, like an alarm in cytokine, and are ready to release it following insult. The next question the authors aim to address is, what mechanisms, in addition to CXCL1, underlie omental falc neutrophil aggregation? Remember those neutrophil extracellular traps we talked about earlier? The authors hypothesize that these might be involved. To check whether zymazan-induced net formation, they looked at DAPI staining and citrullinated H3 expression on their omental falcs. Both stains identified some stringy web-like structure right next to Li6G positive cells. This is some pretty solid evidence that zymazan induces neutrophils to shoot out their DNA and histone-rich nets. Jackson Jones and colleagues were intrigued by these nets and sought to further characterize them. Classically, nets are thought to require two neutrophil enzymes, neutrophil elastase and myeloperoxidase. Surprisingly, they found the same number of nets in mice that lacked neutrophil elastase. And by immunofluorescence staining, myeloperoxidase did not co-localize with nets. Taken together, these results suggest that zymazan induces non-classical nets, a form that have never been described before. The authors did note one similarity between these nets and classical nets, and that is their requirement for PAD4. Using a PAD4 inhibitor, GSK484, Jackson Jones and colleagues were then able to investigate the effect of nets on particle trapping. They did this by using immunofluorescence with a fluorescently labeled zymazan. When nets were inhibited, no more zymazan staining. Moreover, there was no more neutrophil staining. So nets were not only required for particle trapping, but also neutrophilia. Without nets, 
Zymazan was able to float throughout the circulation, as evidenced by increased staining in the spleen. The authors do not show it here, but presumably, Zymazan particles in the systemic circulation would go on to cause disease in other tissues. Thus, omental falc stromal cell-dependent neutrophilia and net formation is a critical host defense process. One long-standing hypothesis in the field of omental host defense is that fluid flow is important. I am not going to go into the data, but the authors provide evidence to show that the mechanism that they have identified here occurs independent of fluid flow. Finally, the authors wrap up their report with some important human data. They procure inflamed tissue from patients with appendicitis and non-inflamed tissue from control patients. The latter were undergoing gallstone surgery. The authors show increased neutrophils in appendicitis tissue and also increased secretion of CXCL8. A quick note on CXCL8. While CXCL1 is thought to be the most potent neutrophil chemokine in mice, it is CXCL8 that is thought to be the most potent neutrophil chemokine in humans. Jackson, Jones, and colleagues then show evidence for enhanced net formation in appendicitis samples, as well as increased particle trapping. And that's it. So, the authors have shown that specific stromal subsets cover omental falcs and produce CXCL1, a potent neutrophil chemoattractant. Omental falc neutrophilia and contaminant capture during peritonitis could then be inhibited by blocking CXCL1 or inhibiting neutrophil extracellular trap formation. Finally, the authors show that humans with appendicitis exhibit falc neutrophilia and bacterial component capture just like mice. So, what do I think about the paper? Well, I really like the spatial data. I thought the whole mount immunostaining was very impressive. It was a nice validation of the single-cell RNA sequencing data, which is something many labs don't do these days. And it also helped the authors understand the biology of these stromal cells. One thing I would like to have seen is more human stromal data. Would you see the same thing that was seen in mice? Overall, though, great paper. I love the mechanistic work, the single cell, the spatial, and the fact that this paper opens the door to several new areas of investigation. Falc cover cells, non-classical nets, peritoneal contaminant capture, and so much more. I hope you all enjoyed this one. I sure did. All right, on to the things I've learned segment. Technically, this segment should be called the things that I've learned and I'm still learning and I will probably always need to relearn segment, but that's too long. So the things I've learned segment. If you're an experimentalist in the lab, here's a situation you've probably been in. You're doing a small little experiment, just a couple of tubes, you usually label them, but this time you think, nah, I'll remember which one's which. Everything's going fine. And then you feel a tap on the shoulder. It's the FedEx guy. He wants you to sign for a package. So you sign for the package, and then you turn back to your experiment and realize, whoops, which tube was I adding reagent A to? You forgot which tube was which. And now your experiment is probably no good. Unfortunately, this sort of mistake happens to the best of us, and it's why I aim to label all of my tubes always. Yes, I use a coded system so I don't need to write out everything on every tube, but at least label them somehow. 
Science is hard enough as it is. Experiments fail for reasons outside of our control all of the time, so it's really important that we limit all of the failures that we can control. Alrighty then, that is it for today. Thank you all for listening. This was a lot of fun. I learned a lot in making this episode, and I hope you all learned something by listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it around or write us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. These small acts can have a big impact on our ability to spread science. And now, in the time of COVID, it's never been more important to spread good science. Until next time, folks. Cheers. Cheers.